All right. Before we start today, I wanted to say thank you for all your lovely emails about my new young adult detective book, Malraux and the Midnight Organ Fight. The book seems to be gathering a buzz, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to read it and welcome these characters into your life. God knows they're rather permanent residents inside my head. That's where they live, uh, which means there will be a sequel. Stay tuned for news on that front. In the meantime, if you haven't picked up a copy and you're book curious, then hit your local indie bookseller and they'll hook you up. Yes, I know. Amazon does the drone thing and they drop it down your chimney like some kind of techie Santa Claus. But let me tell you something about that Santa Claus. It's Jeff Bezos and he's rich. Your indie bookseller? Well, they're not either one of those things and they need your help. So help them out, okay? All right. Let's start the show. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Rearranging took some time. The self-fulfilling prophecy was recognized. Lost my patience, lost my pride. Never thought we'd see it to the other side. I've been reminiscing about the things you said. You've been talking bullshit on of my guest today on the program, Imogen Clark. Let me tell you a little bit about Imogen Clark. Okay, so before I introduce you to Imogen, I want to talk for a second about self-empowerment. I know, I know. You hear that kind of thing at weird inspirational workshops, but my version of it is the punk rock, bare-bones version, because no other version matters. Self-empowerment isn't easy, and it's not easy because... In our lives, we tend to think of other people and how they'll receive us, how they'll judge us. And because of that, we try to mold our responses and our desires to those expectations. But by doing that, we forget about one thing, ourselves. It's true. You can go a whole lifetime forgetting that what you feel is important. So the basic punk rock version of empowerment is this. Don't let people mess with you. And if they do, mess with them right back. Nobody can mess with Imogen Clark. Not anymore. The Australian singer-songwriter says, My whole career, I've felt beholden to other people's ideas of who I am or what my music should be. People who still treat me like a little girl after 12 years of playing and writing. Now I'm punching my way out of that box, not letting anyone else define me, and embracing all of who I am and the kinds of music I love. Well, the fact is, Imogen Clark's punching has never sounded better. Imogen started playing gigs in bars at 13, so it's understandable that someone so young could get caught up in catering to what other people thought she could be artistically. But by 25, she'd had enough. Nothing like romantic wreckage, stinging self-doubt, and artistic frustration to make someone stare themselves down and take ownership of what happens next. And that's what Imogen Clark did. Weathering all those storms taught her something. She could do it. And if she could do it, she could do anything. And so she did. Her new EP, The Making of Me, is an exhilarating rebirth of an artist who's taken command of her career 
and is burning with confidence. The songs here, like My Own Worst Enemy or Inside Out, reflect the power and grace of one of the most electrifying talents out there. Her work is rootsy, powerful, and infectious. Imogen Clark is no longer feeling artistic claustrophobia. She's staring at the open road, and she's pushing the pedal to the floor. And it sounds awesome. So, enjoy my conversation with Imogen Clark, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. been a bit of a um a road person I love touring I've always loved touring I remember finishing high school and thinking I just can't wait to get out on the road and uh I would you know it's always a nice feeling to come home and you know I see my dog and those sorts of things are lovely to look forward to but the touring itself has never felt like a chore to me it feels like the reason why I do this is to see all these beautiful places meet these new people and you know, to be able to actually kind of share music with people. I think that's the most beautiful thing. So no, I've never, I've never hated it. I've never seen it as a chore. It's interesting to think about how, you know, some things we take for granted. Like I've been to so many concerts in my life and I always think like, well, um, it's a great, it's a great way blowing off steam or a good night out. There's always music and now there isn't. And it's really weird for a music fan um, it also must be incredibly weird slash alarming for a musician. Absolutely. I'm coming at it from both sides, you know, uh, being somebody that loves to play a lot of gigs in every calendar year. I try to, it's almost like I'm trying to beat my previous calendar year all the time. How many gigs can I do in one year? And I love gigging. And so I'm coming at it from that perspective with, you know, really missing being on the road and missing playing those shows but I'm also miss like yourself I'm missing it as a music fan I really yeah. love going out to other people's shows and you know being able to learn from how they perform like I really miss that and so it's been as a music fan and a music player I've just felt really lost without this live music experience and it, I, I never quite realized how much I took for granted the ability to be in a room full of people like that yeah, because that is a it's an you know a, a massive component of what you do, both financially and um, getting that sort of hit of these are my fans, these are my people in this room. Um, that is a very intimate relationship, and to have that suddenly be gone. I mean, I get the sort of Facebook shows, I get the live Instagram things. I mean, thank God for that. But it's not quite the same, is it? Absolutely, it's not. And, you know, we do the best with what we're given. And I think everybody is really um, challenging themselves and adapting to all these new mediums and new ways of connecting with fans, which is great. And obviously the alternative is we don't get to share music at all, which is just, which would just be terrible. And so everyone's doing the best they can. But you're right, it just isn't the same. You know, I love playing, I'm playing a series of live stream shows right now and we've tried to produce them with really good quality. So we've got, you know, proper um, a proper camera crew working on it. Um, and, you know, it, it's the best we can do, but you still will never make up for that, that uh, connection when you're in a room with people and everyone's feeling the magic of relating to this song. You know, it, it's, it's just like something, it's something you can't quite ever... Uh, make up just online can you you know it's not the same no. thing 
I mean, thank God for it. Like you and I had this bad connection. I could reach you on Instagram. I mean, thank God we can do that. There are great things about it. Um, But at the same time, there is something about that, the immediacy of seeing somebody in person. Yeah, it's interesting to me because like, I think we, I know there's always a lot of um, grumbling throughout society about how much we're attached to our phones and and our computers and how everybody's kind of falling into this social media black hole. And I totally understand that. And there are times when I feel that way as well. But I think the truth of it is kind of that, you know, humans, while we like those things when they're available to us, I think we really do all that in-person connection. And I think when we can't have it, like we've all found recently with COVID, we've just been um, craving it more and more. And I think nothing will ever take that away. I think no amount of social media, um, you know, obsession will ever fully take that away from us. We love to connect with other humans in person and it just, you just can't do it over through a screen, you know? Right. No, it's true. And I, I'm going to show you something. Look at this. This is my, this is my phone because, right. I'm showing image in my flip phone. And here's why (laughs) it's because I know that if I got an iPhone or a smartphone, I would be staring at it constantly. I know that I'm not (laughs) strong enough to have one. I'm not mature enough to have one. So I have this. And now you know the truth about me. I love that though. I used to have one of those phones when I was younger. And to be honest, I do miss that whole, you know, just not really feeling glued to it all the time because I notice it myself, especially as somebody who social media is part of their work life, you know, I do find myself way too obsessed with it. So I have a rule now that like if I'm doing something where I'm actually, um, you know, I'm I'm just scrolling aimlessly, it's time to pick up a book. Like it's just so silly. Right. If you're not looking for anything specific, you know, um, it's right. I agree with you. That's a good, it's a very good rule. I, you and I are in a very similar position in that we both have new product on the streets. Uh, your new EP just came out and my new book just came out. So people are like, so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And, And congratulations to you. It's very exciting. And so people are like, um, there's a pandemic, there is rioting in the streets, there is an unstable political world, 40 million people out of work. And I'm like, I have a new book coming out. <laughs> and it's like the worst. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but have you heard my new EP? Um, there uh, is, absolutely. how do you feel about putting out new music in such a weird time? I mean, what can we do but release art and hope that that heals everybody or brings everybody together, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're facing a time right now that I've just never seen anything like it. And I know many of us in our lifetimes have never experienced anything like this. And I think um, the difficulty is uh, we we really didn't want it to seem that we were being really um, sort of uh, nonchalant about the state of the world. We take it so seriously and we didn't want anyone to think we were just say, look at me, look at me, I'm releasing this music and while, you know, while the world is burning. But what we decided was that we felt like these, especially the EP we're bringing out is very positive, has a lot of positive undertones to it. And we kind of felt that, you know, my team and I have all been 
you know, struggling through this and we know everybody is struggling through their lives at the moment and some worse than others. And we've been turning a lot to new releases and new music that we are using to get us through the difficult times. And we were kind of just hoping that this music being quite a positive, um, it's actually really about going through a terrible year and pulling yourself out the other side of it, feeling like a stronger version of yourself. And funnily enough, I wrote this EP last year with some personal struggles, but I had no idea how relevant it was going to seem to 2020 once it, it sort of started being released. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to the songs on it at the moment. So we decided that we would release it even if we couldn't be touring it because we just wanted people to feel something positive and something that they could maybe um, get a bit of distraction, I guess. Yeah. And it's, you know, the first single from it is just so, so positive and so relatable oh, yeah. for that very reason. Um, and I was, I was thinking a lot about it in the last few days. Um, and I was thinking about how a lot of times, like for example, with this pandemic, um, it's forced people, including myself quite a bit, to sort of pivot, right? Where I call it the pandemic pivot, where you can't, <laughs> you know, you're not, you can't do the things that you normally do. So how do you do the things in a new way, right? And those innovations have been so powerful that I don't remember the old way. And yeah. like, not at all, actually. And I'm wondering for you, having gone through what you've gone through and coming out the other side of it, um, do you feel, as a person, do you feel so strong that you don't remember the, ver the, sh the skin that you shed? That's a really good question. I think that's so, um, that's very true. I, I almost don't. There's a way that I feel like I'm hearing a lot of people talking about coming out the other side of COVID and, and, and going back to normal. And I actually don't think it will be back to normal. I think it will be a new version of what normal is. And I think that's kind of, um, that's how I feel. I feel like I don't, I don't really remember exactly who I was before writing this EP and before this whole pandemic set in. But in a way, it will, I will probably just be a new version of myself afterwards anyway. And I think a lot of us are feeling that way. But as humans, I think we're so, we adapt so well to things more than we think we will. You know, we, we kind of, within a couple of weeks is how long it generally takes for a habit to set in. And by that time, you sort of feel, um, you feel like it's almost, this is, the, this is new for us. This is the new normal and this is how life will be now. So I think, you know, I think uh, there's, I definitely feel like I have a, a new skin, like almost like I've shed an old skin and kind of grown into a new one. And even if parts of my older self come back, I think there will always be, you'll always sort of be evolving. I guess that's the, the same probably for everybody. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that you know, it's almost like sometimes if you have a pain and when the pain and the pain is so memorable, but when it heals, like say you hurt your shoulder and then when it heals, sometimes you can't even remember what shoulder it was. And so, yeah. there, right. So there's something kind of, I know there's something instructive about pain. Um, and I know it's difficult to go through. I think, you know, I've been through it, you've been through it, uh, and we're here to talk about it. Um, and it, and it is important, I think, to remember it. Um, even if you don't remember where the pain exactly was, it's important to remember that you were in pain. Um, but here's an interesting thing I was thinking about. Did you realize um, when you were that older version of yourself, like in other words, if, if, if a breakup hadn't have happened, you would have soldiered on as that person, right? So it's yeah. almost though 
you weren't even aware of the fact that change could have happened and change would have been better. Yeah, it's so true. And I think that's, um, that's a, such a perceptive thing to say. And I think that um, often people, sometimes, I, I feel like people often will stay in a circumstance that, that they know deep down is not right for them just because rocking the boat is more of a fear and feels more painful initially you know, in the short term, you're doing yourself a favor, but in the long term, you know, rocking that boat and sort of becoming this new version of yourself and going through the, the short term hardship in order to get to the long term happiness and resolve is, is kind of the best way to go. And that's always the way I've sort of tried to live my life, um, knowing that I have to follow my gut. And I think, you know, it's a sliding doors thing, isn't it? You know, like in the way that, that you know, that in a parallel universe, maybe there's a version of me that's still in that old space, you know, but um, yeah. I think, you know, I always kind of feel like I have a very strong gut feeling about where I need to go and what decisions I need to make. And if I don't make those, I just don't feel like I'm uh, staying true to myself. Yeah, it's, I, I know what you mean. It's almost as though, uh, I think back to breakups and and I think specifically breakups for for this this conversation and and I think like at the time, I mean I remember when I was in high school, my girlfriend broke up with me and my mom said on the phone and my mom said to me come down it's dinner and I and I went downstairs and she put a bowl of ravioli in front of me and I thought I'll never eat again that was my <laughs> like what we good have is all food? been there. Yeah, right? Oh my god. I did I eat totally again. I understand. You yes. get it. And I did eat again. And and I and the thing about it is is that we do heal and that we do become in some ways grateful for the pain because it provides a contrast. And sometimes when someone does something, when, when a breakup happens, it doesn't even matter who does it, you realize shortcomings in yourself that you probably wouldn't have realized. And it just makes you, I think you just improve. Um, so the, the next person that you're with is gonna get a much more improved version of you, right? You, I agree. I agree totally. And I think, um, you know, I think the, the struggles that I've faced personally and everybody has their own sort of, um, their own list of, of things that they've sort of been through. And I think what's, you know, the, what happened for me last year, you know, it was just a whole bunch of, of personal um, relationships ending, new ones beginning, re uh, business relationships changing, everything just felt in a very tumultuous state. But that really, really what the songs that came from that display is that you have to go through those things to to come out the other side, a stronger version, and to almost appreciate your own kind of strength in the face of vulnerability. And I think that's a really important part of um, my character, I would say, is that I, I feel like a, a tougher person now than I was at this time a couple of years ago. And it's just from having been through things and trusted people I shouldn't have and made mistakes myself and just all those things that you do are just part of life and it's part of learning about who you are and who you're going to be and I, I take it as one of those you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger situations I feel like that all the time and I'm I'm glad that you know I, I never want to make music that's just about wallowing in self-pity you know I've never wanted to make an album that's just I got my heart broken and I'm never going to 
get over it and I, I you know, I hate life and I hate everything and, you know, just, I like there to be a positive undercurrent to all of this stuff. And I think you can always find that positivity in, in any negative sort yeah. of challenge. Yeah, it's true. And I also think about how this has informed you both personally and artistically, um, because you are a different artist now than you were two years ago. Something has happened to you that is, to me, really exciting because it's almost like you took control. Yes, absolutely. The c control is actually, yeah, that's a, that's a big deal because we, this is also in more ways than one because, you know, the control over my, um, my own sort of relationships and the control over my own, you know, not wanting to be hurt by people and being able, or just as a, as a growing young woman, that I think it's it's very easy for you to feel like um, you're always being a little bit underestimated. And, and sometimes I think over the last couple of years, I've put myself more than I ever had before, but also in another way, control in that this is the first time I've ever uh, owned my own masters. Um, I've released my first couple of wow. records with a with a record label, and now I'm an independent artist again. And it, you know, it's exciting for me because I feel um, more in control of my career than I ever have before. And that's a really really cool place to be at. You know, at 25 yeah. to be feeling uh, that I can have that freedom. Yeah, and and there's something also to be said about when you take that control you will never give that up again. That's sort of like something where it's like, oh, now I am crafting the music, making the decisions artistically that feel good to me rather than trying to adhere to somebody else's idea of what will feel good to me. Absolutely. And that's, you know, you just hit the nail on the head with what a lot of this new music is saying um, in my mind is that, you know, there's been a lot of times in the past where I felt like I've, I've been trying to mold myself into other people's ideas of what I am or what authentic art is, always being embarrassed about having pop sensibilities in my songwriting for some reason because I'd been led to believe that that was somehow uncool or inauthentic and yet now I just feel that I've let go of how all these different kinds of music genres that I love and that, that feels so liberating I I kind of didn't realize I was uh, sort of putting a, a muzzle around myself in a way like I just didn't even realize that was happening and now I feel really free for the first time and I think that comes out in the music it does. It really, it does sound like a woman who has been liberated artistically. Oh, and it, thank it, you. It's really a, a very cathartic listen. Um, oh. is, for you, is there a, you know, and it's, and it's good for us to have this conversation because a lot of people who listen to the program are aspiring musicians um, of every gender and age. And I, I do feel specifically um, for a young woman who is coming up um, there's a lot of people who think that they can manipulate that person into um, artistic choices that really um, are not part of their sensibility. And you kind of get pressured into um, doing things like, you're going to write with this person, you're going to wear this thing, you're going to do these photos, you're going to sing these songs. And you think like, well, okay, I'm, I guess I will do that, <laughs> right? Um, yes. Can you give some advice for somebody who is, um, you know, maybe 18, 19 years old and is entering the industry. And can you also sort of reverse engineer and give that advice to your younger self as well? That's, that's such a great question. I, I, I love to talk to people who are at that point in their career when, you know, um, they might only be a few years younger than me and by no means am I 
an expert on it, but I'm just that little bit further on down the line in my career than they might be. I love those opportunities to talk to those people because I, um, you know, I feel like I faced a lot of difficult situations, you know, going into boardrooms full of, uh, you know, middle-aged men and I'm 18 years old and I'm sitting there and I've got no management team and I've got nobody on in my corner and I'm trying to stand up for what I believe in. And that's a really tough position to be in. And I think, uh, you know, what I would say to anyone in that position and what I would remind my younger self if I was going to be, you know, talking to myself back then is just that your gut feeling is way stronger than you probably realize and that you're, you're way tougher than you probably realize and have a thicker skin than you may know. And uh, I think that, you know, trusting those gut feelings is so incredibly important, especially in the music industry when it's about creative pursuit and you can't be, you know, you just can't, if somebody's trying to push you into something that deep down you just feel so wrong about, you have to speak up because at the end of the day, they are working for you and without your art and other artists' art, these people don't have jobs. And it's really important to know that these musicians are what keeps this um, industry running. And if and you're the one on the cover, you know, you're, you're the person whose face is on this product. And if you're not happy with it, it's not going to reflect poorly on the record label executive. It's going to reflect poorly on you. So it has to be, you know, you have to stand up for yourself and know that you're tougher than, than what you give yourself credit for. Yeah, because if, if it goes wrong, nobody thinks, boy, those executives screwed up. They, they look at <laughs> you, right? Like you're the one that no one thinks about about those people, you're making a very good point there. I didn't even think about that because it is your name, your face. And that's the, that's what people, you take the hit. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And what people often, you know, I think the idea, it sounds really cheesy to say, but it is a brand in, in the way that somebody, you know, uh, at a hardware store is selling, you know, brands of tools, like we're a brand, every singer songwriter, every artist who is on the front cover of their album is a brand. And, and if you're doing something that feels inherently wrong for your brand, it's, it's not, um, so easy to shake off because it's you you're a walking brand and that that's really hard to come to terms with I think especially as a young woman and and I think you know what you mentioned about uh you know people uh, being told how to dress I I haven't personally had that experience but I've I've known people who have and honestly I've I find that makes my blood boil because I don't think anyone should be telling you how to dress especially because it's rare that it happens to male artists and it frustrates yeah. me a lot that female artists get told so frequently how to dress and I think it's um you know you, it's very much not no one's business but your own yeah yeah I totally agree with you and I know that that there are sort of wardrobe uh, people people who right I know that that is a part of it um I'm very curious, did you, when, when this was happening to you as an 18 or 19 year old, were you kind of in the back of your head going, uh, <laughs> I guess I'll go along with it. <laughs> did you know something was sort of amiss or, or did you buy in a little bit? 
I think uh, I've always had a fairly um, good idea of who I was. And I think even from a young, you know, I, I knew, like, as an 18-year-old, I barely wore any makeup. I, I used to wear clothes that made me look like I was 80 years old, like a grandma, like I was a folk. I was pretty much singing folk music. And I just, you know, I, I was very... Um, plain dress that like I, I didn't really I definitely wasn't wearing um lots of makeup and high heels and tight skirts and things like that and funnily enough I, I sort of do more of that now but it's only because it's on my own terms and it's kind of a funny right. thing where you know you need to grow as a person while you're growing as a brand and at that age I was younger and more naive and more innocent and that was what I wanted to wear and so that was what I was going to wear and I, I didn't really ever um I, I I definitely took tips from people but I, I never sort of listened when anyone sort of said I needed to fully change up my look I just thought that was that was up to me and me only but um you know now I feel like I've I've just grown into an older version of myself who wants to wear different things and that's you know as long as it's our own terms the change is great you just don't want to be um being told that you're you know, your, your look isn't sexy enough. And the whole point of being a female artist is to be sexy. And, you know, it's really not. It's about what you have to say and right. <laughs> over anything else. Right. That's why I really do appreciate Billie Eilish, because I do see that she is subverting the idea that you get to stare at my body. You get to make these judgments about me as as a sexual object, you get to project your fantasies onto me. And she really does block that in a really clever way. For a young artist to be that self-possessed, I just marvel at how she's really controlled that. Absolutely, I agree. I love, um, I love her. I think that that is a great, um, it's really important to, to be, have something to say like that. And I think the idea of, of saying that she, you know, she wears these baggy clothes, she wears exactly what she wants. She's got a quirky style of dressing. I just think that that's, um, it's re it really goes to show that we've come a long way because I think, uh, you know, decades earlier, it might be a situation where people felt like if you were a woman up on a stage, you needed to be, uh, you needed to have a certain body type first and foremost, and you needed to be showing that body off. Otherwise, what was the point, you know? <laughs> and I think, right. I think that's, we've come so far since then. And I, I you know, um, I think there's always ways we can do better, but I think it's great that we're not, at least that we're not, you know, so much in that place anymore. And, and um, artists like Billie Eilish have definitely helped with that. I don't think of you that often now. You don't love me like you should do. How do you want me to be for you? You lie to yourself and we both know the truth. I'm lying in the devil's arms. I'm comfortable in the dark You pulled me from the sinking ship And you threw me to the hunger shots You told me I was beautiful As you pushed me out to the sea In a handmade paper boat With rocks tied to my feet
photo shoots and were you, did you feel comfortable doing that or did you feel um again those photo shoots are orchestrated by other people right it's not those i mean sometimes you have your own input of course but um were you comfortable sort of under that gaze and in that medium or did that make you feel uncomfortable as well well i feel very lucky in that i from the time i started you know i can only really count one or two photo shoots i would count as being quite um just not really my sort of thing. I felt like a lot of my photo shoots um, were with people I trusted, you know, people who um, my manager, Jeremy Dillon, who's now become my manager before that did all my music videos and also did a lot of photo shoots for me and being friends with Jeremy and, and knowing him like that, it felt very comfortable to me. And he was also somebody that would never put anyone in an inappropriate, uncomfortable position. So I felt really lucky in that regard, but I just, just didn't um my my biggest you know difficulty was having you know a makeup artist that might um make you feel like your preference is just is not correct somehow right. <laughs> you know right. sort of i'd sort of say 
um, I had a couple of dodgy experiences. I had one in particular where a makeup artist um, was, you know, I sort of said to her, oh, you know, obviously, as you can see, I've got very British, very white skin. And so I'll need some really light colored makeup. And she went ahead and put some very, uh, <laughs> very orange makeup on me. And, and it just felt really uncomfortable. And then the photographer who wasn't Jeremy was asking me to do some things like, you know, just pose in ways that I didn't like. And I just sort of had to say to him, look, it's not my brand. I, I just can't imagine this ever being, you know, used or approved by me and so there's no point us taking these photos <laughs> because right. I can't imagine us getting past a point of even approving them so it's funny to be in that position because it's almost like I think sometimes people um people will will be surprised that you've stood up for yourself sometimes they'll be a, it'll make them a bit mad because they'll think you're you're being rude in some way but you're never being rude to to stand up for how you feel about your own music and your own brand you know i have gotten better as i've gotten older it took me till i was about 47 till i could really say no to people it was so hard for me to say no and i don't know why it was but i'm much better at it now and absolutely right isn't that and it seems like you've learned it you know 20 years before i did um <laughs> good to tell somebody no i don't think that's we're not going to do that i don't think we're going to go that direction <laughs> with this i'm i'm not really into that doesn't that feel kind of good it feels weirdly satisfying as you know i'm the same as you um i feel that you know um it, i feel like it's it's really hard to learn because you feel like you're being rude when you say no, when in reality, right. it's, it's just a part of life. You can't be constantly saying yes, or you'll be exhausting yourself and, and some things just aren't right for you. And that's, that's totally fine. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely have gotten better at it. I still wouldn't say I'm, I'm great at it. I, I definitely have trouble sometimes with confrontation. I'm naturally not a very confrontational person, but you have to get better at that with business. And I'm also really lucky that now I have a beautiful manager who is so good at his job and he's great at helping, you know, helping guide me in a good direction. So we, whenever he thinks something is a bad career decision it normally completely aligns with what I think is a bad career decision so it's it's helpful to have somebody like that in your life for sure but when I was doing it all myself it certainly was hard to say no yeah yeah and and sometimes you think well the end result is my music gets out there so I'll, I'll buy into this process but then you realize um and at 25 it's a great age to have that realization of like no I think I'm gonna take a little more control here which which brings me to your work with um, someone who I really, really admire, who is Emma Swift. Um, yes. You know, and, and my first thought was, well, Emma Swift has been doing so much work with Robin Hitchcock um, lately. I started thinking, I wonder if Imogen has started to hear some Robin Hitchcock for the first time in her life, or if you already were a fan. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Emma and what your thoughts are with her, and tell me if you've gotten into any Robin Hitchcock songs. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. I um I didn't realize it that Emma was a mutual friend. She's beautiful, and um I got to know Emma because we obviously both being Australian, um it's quite a small industry, but also we you know we both ended up at the Americana um, Music Festival in Nashville a few years ago, and Emma was running the social media for um you know the Australian contingent, and it was really wonderful. We had so much fun. Uh, Emma was 
kind of helping me try and get into, uh, I was underage at the time, so I was under 21 and being overage in Australia, um, but then being underage in America. So I was right. trying to get into the gig so I could, you know, uh, be a part of the Australian sort of uh, the Australian gig, the Sounds Australia was putting on and Emma was trying to help get me in. And she was saying, look, she, I'll chaperone her. She's not going to be drinking. She just wants to watch the show. <laughs> so it was very, Emma was very helpful um, in that regard. And then, you know, we kind of kept in touch and she's also a, a really great friend of my managers and uh, they actually lived together for a time in Nashville. And I actually didn't know, I wasn't very familiar with Robin's music and I, I uh, didn't really, and I hadn't met him personally until, uh, I was strangely in London. Uh, we were both over at a mutual friend's house in London uh, last year. It seems like a lifetime ago. But so I met Robin and he was so charming and so wonderful. So it's been great watching their, have you watched any of their live streams? I have and they're amazing. Yes, been fantastic. They work great together. And, you know, having written with Emma was really wonderful because I think she's got a great touch for uh, very, you know, uh, direct songwriting that hits the nail on the head and, you know, doesn't shy away from the point. She's really great with that. So, and she also sung on the song we wrote together on the EP. So we have her beautiful backing vocals. She's quite a singer. And what I like about her writing is that there is an economy to it where she can really get to the point in a very simple and direct, but very poetic way. Absolutely. Yes, I think so. And I, you know, what I think it came out in this song we wrote together, Emma came over to my Airbnb in LA when we were both in LA and, um, and she was, uh, you know, I was actually making demos at the time and but I was also doing some writing and she came over and I was just talking to her about the way that sometimes, you know, I think female artists get this a lot where you just get really tired of feeling like there are a lot of, uh, you know, male, your male counterparts who might want to be your friend and sort of treat you really kindly from the onset but then once they realize you might be some sort of threat to them mm. musically in a business sense they get they sort of get a bit aggressive towards you or feel like they have to start sort of putting you down subtly and so we we both had shared experiences with things like that and so we we sat and wrote this song called push me down and and emma was so great with it because she you know, things that I feel almost, uh, you know, it's hard to say something so direct in a song because you almost feel like you need to shroud it in a metaphor. But with Emma, she's great like that because she just goes, no, just say it how it is. Just let's just, you know, be so direct with this that it's almost uncomfortable. And I love that. I love that feeling when I'm listening to a song, when someone is so honest that it almost makes you feel uncomfortable. It's great. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that there's, you know, in terms of collaborative work, um, you can always learn from the other person, even if it's, it doesn't feel like, oh, now I'm learning something. You just sort of, through osmosis, you kind of just pick stuff up. Um, Absolutely. And then you kind of like run it through your own meter and then it comes out um, in this really interesting way. So have you noticed that your writing has changed since collaborating with somebody like um, Emma? Yeah, so true. I um I feel like every uh, co-writing experience I have teaches me something, however large or small. And with certainly with the the songs that come out feeling the strongest, and the songs that we've decided to use for this EP, those experiences are really uh, they really 
make an impression on me and I feel like I take something away from those co-writes. Certainly with Emma, you know, the, the simplicity of that direct emotional sort of uh, plea of, you know, the hook line being, uh, you don't have to push me down to breathe, that sort of really direct version of what I wanted to say was just really uh, it, it, that showed me something it opened my mind to being that forward with um, with lyrics and you know I would say every every song on this EP has taught me something you know all the co-writes especially it does you know that's the point of co-writing it's so great that you learn so much from sitting down with other writers yeah it's very true and I, and I think looking at her relationship with Robin um, which is so cross-generational. Um, he's British, he's Australian, and they're marvelous together. And to sort of see that connection happening, he's been one of my favorite songwriters for the last 30 years. I, th I just think the world of him. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't have known anything about her if it wasn't for him. I found her through him. And oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And I just thought, who's Emma Swift? And then I saw you were writing with her and I, I, I familiarized myself with her in the last year or so. Um, so I really, I'm, I'm on the Emma Swift train. Wait, am I saying fantastic. Emma Swift, right? It's, that's her last yes. name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Emma Swift. Yeah, that's Emma's right. No, she's mom. fantastic. She's amazing. And, you know, and they have this cool thing that they do. And it made me think about how, um, for you, learning about other artists and sort of opening up your mind, like you were talking about Prince at one point and, and opening up your mind and opening up your, um, your ears to different kinds of songs that you wouldn't normally maybe have um, been checking out when you were sort of in that box that you were in. Um, has your discovery also stretched to the kind of music you listen to? Do you feel you're more open now uh, to other artists and are you discovering stuff that you hadn't known before? Very much so. I, uh, I think the, the experience of co-writing with other artists and the experience of recording this EP has definitely opened my mind to new new music and and what the great thing about that was you know I made a production playlist of um, references for this EP going into the studio and sort of to say to the team this is kind of the sonic direction I heard this EP heading in and everybody had a listen but then once we got into the studio yes some of those references came out but some really wild left of field references were coming out as well and they were so wildly different from one another many of them I I didn't know much about beforehand so you know Mike Bloom our beautiful producer he was referencing Wise Blood at one point and then you know Jeremy my manager was there and he was referencing Prince and you know we were bringing up Cindy Lauper songs and it just went from one wild end of the spectrum to another and that was so interesting and fun for me because then I went away and listened to um, those those songs and particularly actually one one sort of thing I, I got out of it was um, a, I'm now a big fan of Christine and the Queens and I actually didn't know anything about Christine and the Queens but when we were in the studio for one of the songs Mike pulled out uh, the song It and he was using it as a bit of a vocal reference of, of this kind of punchy way of singing and I just fell in love with it. I'd never heard of Christine and the Queen so it was a really cool eye-opening experience just listening to all these different tracks and then going into the vocal booth and going how can I pull my own sort of flavour out of that style? Yeah that's exactly what I'm talking about right right where maybe the, the influence wouldn't be as overt um, as people might think, but it's subtle and it does inform you in a way that that shifts the narratives that you're writing even just a little bit. Um, you know, that's an incredible thing. What about a band like Gang of Youths? Uh, oh. 
aren't they incredible now i know that's that's that is to me their last album was just i mean as a masterpiece where do you oh. stand on, on a band like that I love Gang of Youths and I actually have a, a fairly cool um, connection to the band. I, I don't think this would be something that uh, Dave would have remembered, but years and years ago, um, I actually came from a program um, in New South Wales called Talent Development Project. And it's a program for school kids who are gifted and talented to sort of uh, learn about performance and songwriting skills. And Dave had graduated from the program a few years before. And, and this was before Gang of Youths even, even existed. And Dave was doing a solo project. And uh, he came in to give, you know, feedback on students um, and their sort of progression in the songwriting performance field. And he was kind of giving tips and, and it was great because obviously, you know, obviously even back then, wonderful, wonderful songwriter. And, you know, everyone very much suspected that there was real fame um, to come for him and real recognition for his songwriting. And he, he watched me play and then he gave me two albums to go and listen to. And those two albums were uh, Blue by Joni Mitchell and Heartbreaker by Ryan Adams. And he said, if you go and listen to these two albums, um, you know, these will change your life sonically and it will change your songwriting life. And I took those away and became absolutely obsessed with them. And, uh, you know, this was many years ago and I just, they're still, you know, two albums that have really made a big difference on me from a musical standpoint. And I think, you know, so I always uh, think about that and think about the fact that I really have Dave to thank for that big pivotal moment in my songwriting <laughs> growth. So yeah. I think that he and that band, are, I, I think Gang of Youths are honestly one of the most incredible bands to have come out of Australia in a very, very long time. We're very lucky to have them. Yeah, I agree with you. They're, they're one, of those, one of those very powerful seismic uh, bands. And he picked two good ones. He picked two really great albums to give you. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. it was just, uh, you know, that, that honesty that he could see I wanted to convey in my music and he could tell that perhaps that was the sort of songwriter I wanted to be was somebody like Joni Mitchell and I think you know I I hadn't been I'd been raised on on much uh, heavier stuff you know rock like Led Zeppelin was uh, you know a big part of my upbringing which I still to this day they're still you know my favorite band but I think having that you know, that songwriter recommendation was huge in my, in my life. And those albums definitely changed me. Yeah. And I think, you know, just for, for California on blue and for, you know, when you're young, the very first song on, on Heartbreaker is just like, I mean, those yeah. alone are, are just incredible. And the albums are on are, are amazing. Um, yeah. I'm, it's interesting. It's a great story. I love hearing that story. It's so cool that he, that he did that. It's very nice. Um, I know what a what a cool guy. I'm very grateful cool to him. Yeah, like what a cool guy. Um, <laughs> and I feel I feel like it's a really good exercise too. Of like, go listen to these. It's like it's like writers giving someone two books, right? It's sort of like see what these people are doing, and see what effect it has on you. Um, and he chose two very organic um, albums. And yeah. I wonder how long it took for that sort of organic approach to kind of detonate um, in your brain in terms of not so much as the songwriting, but the production. Um, what did you think about, because those records are produced so differently, 
Um, did that yeah. make an impression on you too? For sure. I think because uh, at that point in time, I wasn't really sure musically. I think I was only about 17 at this point and I wasn't really sure musically where I wanted to sit in the genre spectrum. And I, I sort of took that to, you know, I, I took those albums and thought, I think the raw style of production is the way I want to go. And because of that, within a couple of years, I'd released uh, my first album, which was really incredibly raw. I mean, it's it was essentially recorded in a garage at a friend's house. It's really almost like a garage folk rock kind of record. And I, I still am so proud of it to this day. It was very simply recorded and that I really attribute that to how much of a, of a fan of, you know, those two artists I became during those years. And I realised later that I sort of, I let, you know, more pop influences sort of uh, come into the production and, and it became a little less warts and all and a little less jagged, jagged and a little more sort of um, lush and poppy. But I think at the core of it, there's always this rawness to the songwriting and that's definitely thanks to those two records, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Um, you, I know you got into the business very young. Um, did your parents have reservations about you um, entering into a business that is, you know, it's a, I don't wanna say it's a dangerous business, um, but you're very exposed and you're very vulnerable. Um, did, did your parents have kind of, um, I don't wanna say fear, so, were they were they yeah. expressing kind of you know a, a worry for you yeah look absolutely i mean i would be i'd definitely be lying to say that they were 100% um they were always 100% supportive and encouraging but i know that the fear of the difficulty of the industry was definitely present. My my dad is a musician and and has been uh, since you know he was a teenager and and uh, he's a high school teacher now. But he spent many many of his years earning money as a musician, playing you know playing around the pubs and he was always a you know a wonderful songwriter. And I think because of that, his encouragement of me was really important because. You know, he he had knowledge, he had prior knowledge of the industry that he could help me with. He, you know, helped me learn how to set up a PA when I was playing covers gigs all around the, you know, the my local area as a teenager for pocket money, stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, he always would sort of say to me that he knew it was a very challenging industry, but he he thought that, you know, in his biased opinion that that I had what it took. But yeah. at the same time, my mum, uh, you know, my mum was incredibly supportive of me also, um, despite not being uh, musically inclined herself. But she, I definitely felt the the worry, the concern from her side, uh, her point of view was just noticing that there were many sort of um, ups and downs and, and, and quite a few potentially, you know, injustices in, in the music industry that she sure. worried, um, she worried that you know, I would be, and she still does that, that it would sort of be something that would cause me a lot of pain in my life. And look, I, I understand because I think as if I were to become a parent, I think I would be really nervous if my child told me that they were going to pursue this path because it, it definitely isn't easy. But I think what both of them would hate more than seeing me get hurt from the music industry would be seeing me not pursue my dreams and feel really uh like I had no resolution and I didn't I didn't know what could have been yeah yeah I know and there's always there is always a worry about you know 
it's, it's, it must be weird to be a parent where you want to support your, your child following their dreams, but then you're a little concerned that the path to that dream is a little bit thorny and dangerous. Um, Absolutely. Right? So you have that sort of cognitive dissonance where you're sort of like, both of these things are true, um, and they feel like they're at, op in, you know, at war with each other. <laughs> it must be hard. That's to right. Uh, I can uh, only understand, like, I can't, I can't fully understand how, um, how difficult that must be for parents. And I think, you know, I, I think the, the idea of following your dreams is a very romantic one. And, and people sometimes I think forget that pursuing any, any dream worth its salt is not going to be, um, is never going to be easy. You know, it's never, that, that's the reason, that's what makes it so rewarding, I think, is the, is the difficulties, the things that you go through and the, the self-doubt and, being doubted by others and it, it's a very um it is a very prickly industry anyone in entertainment obviously you know will, will all have their own stories about it but I definitely feel like I wouldn't trade it for anything even even though I know there's many more challenges to come I think you know I I I could not see myself doing literally anything else yeah yeah no you're which is which is great to hear um you know for me growing up here in California in the Bay Area I, my perception of Australian music, um, I listened to Hunters and Collectors, I listened to In Excess, I listened, I started to get into really obscure um, bands, but, but not so obscure, but I loved The Saints, um, and, I, and I love, they're great, and I, and I loved um, New Zealand bands, and I was, always had this sort of um, a, a Australian band, like Midnight Oil was a big one for me. I never thought about Australian music as being so rootsy that there would be sort of a country feel to it until I started listening to Casey Chambers um, and who I love and yes you know she's amazing and I started realizing there's a rich history of country music roots music um, what we call Americana in America <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was I saw Casey Chambers play in San Francisco and she was pregnant at the time and she actually passed out after the second song um, and they had to cancel the oh, show. Wow. I know it was incredible. It was like, oh my God, but she was fine, but, but she had passed out. But her father was in the band. And so you're like, she's gonna be okay. Her dad <laughs> is here, right? Do you, how yeah. have you surrounded yourself with people, um, your infrastructure of your team? Um, it seems like you're like you're well, um, you know, you feel protected might not be the right word, but you feel safe with the people that you've chosen. Yeah, absolutely. That That's a really cool example. And, you know, um, I think that, that anyone who, I guess the way I've come to see it is that, you know, I realized a little while ago that that my team was my choice. And I think it's funny, it can also be a very uh, broad way of, of looking at life, which I've started to look at like this as well, that it's almost like your life is, a, a, is like a, a, an art gallery and you're the curator and you get to decide who is there and who isn't. And if there are people there that, that doubt you or cause you pain or, or worry, you know, you're, you are totally uh responsible for for you know the people that you let in and i think you you're always allowed to to get rid of people from your life if you don't feel like it's it's a positive influence on you and and that's a way i've started to live my life personally but also with my business so you know i try to have people on my team that are just people that 
I feel comfortable around. I feel like they have my back. I feel like they, um, you know, they trust me and I trust them. And we all have a similar, we're all on the same page with the vision of where the, where the business is going. And I feel like I've really achieved that lately because, you know, I have a beautiful management team. I love my agent, you know, I've, I've um, just, you know, I'm, I'm with MGM distribution who are wonderful. I love my publicist and everyone is kind of on this great team where we all feel really supported and really heard. And it's the same with the touring band, like you're saying with, with Bill Chambers and Casey. I mean, it's really important to have people like that around you who, you know, are looking out for you when you're on the road. And I think I always feel like that with my band and, and everyone, my tour manager, I just love all the people on my team. And, and if I didn't love them and didn't trust them, they wouldn't be there. So I, I love feeling like I've kind of um, trial and errored my way into a, into a great team that I, that I, you know, feel so great around. Yeah. It's interesting. My mother was a therapist and I remember I said to her once when I was in college, I said, you know, I, I've never broken up with a girl. They've always broken up with me. And she said to me, you need to break up with somebody because you, <laughs> like you need to feel what it's like to sort of take, have that agency and make that decision where you're saying you're not good for me in my life and I'm going to ask you to leave. Right. I mean, yes. politely, um, there is something <laughs> she was saying is that, you know, you need to feel empowered that you can make those choices. Otherwise you're going to be somebody who people will continually be breaking up with because you're not going to yeah. develop a backbone. And absolutely. She, and I think she was right about that. And so it sounds to me like you've gotten yourself to a place where you don't mind calling the shots and saying, this isn't working. You need to go, let's do this. And you, that must feel really good. It does. I'm really, I'm really glad about it. And look, I think that it can be often misconstrued as some kind of sort of ruthless behavior of just, you know, kicking people out of your life. And, you know, it doesn't, it's definitely not that dramatic and I don't mean it to be this really kind of ruthless behavior. It's just that, you know, I think sometimes we, we are, we are kind of strung this narrative in society sometimes. And sometimes it's through social media that, you know, especially in our love lives that there's some, this, this romanticizing of drama and this romanticizing of compromising all your important values. And, you know, love is hard and you're going to go through all these really terrible times with someone and you're going to absolutely hate them, but you just should hold on to it because that's what love is. But I, I don't really agree with that. I, I sort of think that, you know, obviously everyone's going to have difficult times with any relationship with any person. That's what humans do is fight. But I think that if it's more bad than it is good and it's only bringing you stress and despair and, you know, hardship, I just don't think it should be in your life. And you really only get one chance to, to live your life. And I don't think, um, you know, letting people stick around in it just because they're, you know, um, they've been with you a long time or because they're related to you or because, you know, you feel like you owe them something or whatever the reason might be. I just don't think it, it, it makes any sense. And I think it might be maybe an old way of looking at things to think that you should just let people kind of push you around just because, um, you know, love is hard or, or you know, whatever right. the excuse is. Right. You're, you're really in charge of your own life. You get to pick who's in it. And if somebody's not treating you like they deserve to be in it, then maybe they don't deserve to be in it. 
Yeah, and and I think being ruthless or being viewed as being ruthless, I think it's kind of okay because it's sort of like, why shouldn't you be ruthless about your life? <laughs> you know, it's like, absolutely you know, yeah. You should be wildly protective of your time and your space and your affection, um, and your your emotional um, health. Um, absolutely. You know, I mean, like I like I always think of the word selfish, and people always think, oh, selfish is is really bad, and it's like, yeah, but don't you hang out with who you want to hang out with and eat when you want to eat and sleep when you're tired? Like you should be yeah. a little bit selfish to sort of, to sort of feed um, your persona and feed your, your needs because otherwise, Absolutely. right. It's not being selfish. Um, if it's not uh, damaging somebody else to make those decisions. I mean, right. if you're, if you're making a decision um, just because, you know, you, if you're making a decision to sort of um, ax someone from your life because they really damage your mental health on a regular basis and you feel like it's just doing you more harm than good, that's not a selfish decision. That's just, I mean, it, it may be selfish, but in the best way, you know, it's, it's, right you know, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Selfish doesn't need to be a terrible word. Of course, if you're, you know, doing everything based on your own, um, you know, you're trying to make yourself feel good at the expense of everybody else, then yes, I guess that's a, that's bad selfish, but there is also a very good kind of selfish that everyone should be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's also very wise to make decisions that though they seem ruthless, they're the right decision for you to move on in your life in a, in a, in a healthy way. That's right. Absolutely. And I hear a lot of people saying, you know, I'll speak to a lot of young women sometimes at gigs who will talk to me about how they feel like certain songs relate to their lives. And they'll, they'll often, you know, tell me stories about their relationships. And, and I love it when, when fans confide in me like that. And they'll, they'll say something like, you know, my partner's never been supportive of my own love of music and my own music career. And I'm trying to make this work. And I, I just feel like he doesn't believe in me. And my, always my first reaction is if you if you don't feel like that person has your back and you don't feel like that person believes in you or they want you to fail so they can feel superior in the relationship that is 100% wrong and if you feel even if they're telling you that that's not how they feel but you genuinely feel that in your gut you have to trust it like you, you just can't keep somebody in your life if they're not helping you be the best possible version of yourself and vice versa yeah I totally agree with that do you do you feel that musically um the sky is the limit. Do you feel that you can do things that people two or three years ago never would have expected you to do? Do you feel so wildly excited about possibility now? Absolutely, I do. And it's it's wildly excited is such a great phrase to describe it because I, I really do. I feel like um, without even realizing that I ever had this kind of cage around me, I feel like this cage has been lifted and I, you know, it's just, a, it's like a surprise. You're liberated and you're free and I feel like I've got no nothing holding me back from making the best music I can make. And I'm really excited to be able to just kind of get out into the world. And, and hopefully once, once the, the difficulty of this um, pandemic has passed, hopefully be able to kind of have these in-person connections with people again over this music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for me this. Me too. Oh, I feel like we have had, like, we've solved all the world's problems and I've given so much unsolicited uh, relationship advice to any listeners. <laughs> no, you, look, these are, these are words of wisdom that I think people will find very instructive. It's good to hear 
Um, although heartbreak is a terrible thing um, and loss is a terrible thing, I find that the people who listen to this show take great strength in hearing, oh, look, Imogen went through it and she not only did she survive, she's better, right? She's yeah. a better version of herself. I think people really, really um, value hearing that and it's a great comfort to them as well. Absolutely. I, I really hope that's the case. And I feel like that when I listen to the struggles of, of people that I, you know, idolize musically. And I, I think that it's important that we all share the, the difficulties as well as the glamorous sides of our lives. You know, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a really big deal. And so I hope that anyone, anyone listening who might be going through something like that feels, you know, un, you know can understand that there's definitely, definitely light at the end of that, that sort of darkness. she wonderful imogen clark wow uh the making of me is her new ep it's phenomenal go get it imogenclark.com.au gotta put the au at the end otherwise you're dealing with a whole other imogen clark who knows nothing of the imogen clark that we're speaking of so to avoid any uh war between the imogen clarks just put the au at the end of the web address. Is that what's called a web address? It sounds wrong. It sounds like an old guy trying to say something about the internet uh, and only sounding older by the second. You know, when you type in the, the web designation on the worldwide internet, that's what it sounds like. I feel like one of those uh, teachers I had in eighth grade who couldn't figure out how to work the VCR. And we all laughed. And now I'm her. Even that reference is old. Uh, AlexGreenOnline.com is the website of a young, fresh, dynamic uh, personality. Go there and see what's going on with me. No old references uh, to uh, AOL.com or things of that nature. Only fresh, exciting uh, life events uh, in the uh, career of a a media personality and uh, male model. That's me. Uh, By the way, you've asked, and I'm going to tell you, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. We're everywhere. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave us a rating, tell all your friends. It sounds like a lot of work, but you and I both know it's not. You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor or follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Who do you want on the show? Who should I bring back to the show? Let me know what's going on inside your head, and I'll try to make it a reality. Okay? All right. Uh, Thank you, as always, for listening week in and week out. We have some very exciting shows coming up. Uh, Watch this space. What does that mean? Watch what space? You're listening to a podcast. Keep listening to the podcast, and the surprises will just unfold. Okay? Does that sound like a better deal? I think so. Uh, let's take a longer listen to Imogen Clark's My Own Worst Enemy. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, right here on Bombshell Radio. Rearranging took some time.